Well, we're going to be over into a really fun chapter here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll have some fun with, with what's going on here. As we were finishing up chapter 1 and a number of weeks ago, we were looking at the, the, those that were of this sort that Paul described. We saw that some had uh, suffered shipwreck and some of the things we went over, what shipwreck would be and some of the things about blaspheme or the Holy Spirit. We ended up looking at the three different things. First off, the things that we do, which is our calling, the things that we believe, which is our doctrine, and the things that we are to become, which is our purpose. And he leaves that, and we come over here into chapter 2, and he begins to take up this part about praying for uh, all men, especially those he's emphasizing in leadership. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The word there for supplications is the Greek word that has the basic meaning of requests. That's why they put in there supplications. We are to make requests on the behalf of other people or for other people, other men. In particular here, he's talking about kings and all that are in authority. He then follows it up with prayers. Uh, this differs a little bit from the word for supplications, even though they are still asking or supplicating for things, because the above, uh, the above one, supplications, that is used when you're asking things of men or asking things of God. This one only is used when you're asking things of God. Then goes on with intercessions which are petitions. We take on intercessions as standing on behalf, making a petition on behalf of those who can't go to God themselves or somehow that there's a blockage or a roadblock or a gap between them and God and that uh, whether our word intercession comes in. Uh, this, this particular word, though, is a word that it acquired some special meaning in Paul's day. It meant to, uh, the, the uh, noun form of this word means to enter into a king's presence and to submit a petition to him. To enter into a king's presence and to submit a petition to him. And so we would enter into the king's presence, God, and enter a petition uh, on behalf of other people, uh, particularly people who can't go there themselves. Intercession is basically uh, there's a gap, there's a problem, and we need to do that. Abraham did that on behalf of Lot when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, tried to petition, actually, for all the lives of Sodom, and he was successful all the way down to ten. If he found ten righteous, he would have uh, had all the lives of Sodom, but they didn't find ten, and we know a number of other places where that kind of thing had gone on in the Word. And then the last one here is giving of thanks, which is thanking God for who He is and what He has done in relation, obviously, to these people. That's the context. Uh, to all men or those that are in authority. Now, here's the thing that kind of messes up the translation. And depending upon what translation you have, they may have this word in italics. Anybody have a word in italics in your in verse 1? It would be the word, if you have it in there, it would be the word end. The word end is not in the Greek. Now, let's read it with the word end in it and see what happens here. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. If you leave the word end in there, it sounds like we are to make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men. If you remove the word end, it changes the meaning of this, of this verse. I don't know why the translators put this in there. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. 
It does not include the word end because for all men, we cannot always make these prayers. First off, not all men need intercession. Some men can go into the throne room of God themselves. Some rulers can go right into the throne room of God themselves. Some cannot for those who make intercession. There are some rulers for whom there is much to be given thanks for. And there are others, there's not a whole lot. There are some in which supplications are to be made. And there are others <laughs> who are not. Therefore, I exert first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. The thing of the all is, is that we are to pray for all men, especially those that are kings or those in authority, but not necessarily all these prayers. You need to determine which ones are necessary, which ones are needed. You can't stand an intercession if the intercession is not necessary. You can't be, uh, be doing all the things that are in these prayers if it's, you, you gotta have some wisdom on your own side of to know what kind of prayers to do and what kind of things to get into. When we were in our prayer night last time, we were going over some things on the, on the prayers and just divided, uh, leaderships up into four groups. Now, of course, there's a whole lot of grayscale in between and they can be, they're sliding from one area to another, hopefully sliding from bad area into a good area, but you know, rulers can go from a good area into a bad area as well. There's a lot of pressure on them to, to do the wrong thing. And we didn't know how they are. We need to identify them. I thought afterwards about a story in the Old Testament. You may remember that there was a particular prophet who was rebuked by God because he had not moved his prayers over to another category. He was still praying like the leader was in one category. And God said, get up. Why are you still praying this way? When he, ex he exhorted Samuel. Because Samuel was still mourning for him. He was still praying for him like he was one after God. And God said, I've rejected him. Now get up and go get another one. And he was pretty firm with, with Samuel. Samuel was not ready to move from one category in praying for Saul into another. And we see how God responded to that. So God said, it's not time for that kind of prayer. Now you need to go into this kind of prayer. You need to go into this kind of action. And, uh, and Samuel listened and he obeyed. And you know, God said, go out there and anoint another one. And Samuel's response was, well, he's going to kill me <laughs> for, for doing that. You imagine that. You had that viewpoint of the, of the king. He's going to kill me, the prophet of God, because I'm going to go out there and do what God said. Um, and God said, yeah, he probably will. He didn't say it exactly that way, but he says, all right, you do it this way. And he won't. <laughs> he won't understand what it is you're doing. And, and God knew that if, if uh, Saul saw that, he would, he would certainly come out there and, and work to do that. So here's the, here's the prayers. Uh, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now, here's the thing. He does not dif dif differentiate between those that are good kings and in authority and those who are bad. It is up to us as believers to discern the good and the bad and to pray accordingly. We cannot, as believers, pray that an unsaved leader following the plans of the devil or the plans of himself or the plans that are not rooted in God, that we pray that those plans would be blessed. We need to discern that is not a plan of God. That is not a direction of God. As we were going over, and uh, we wrote it up and put it in there, and that, uh, that thing for some people who didn't get to, get to see it, because I thought it was important that we understand that uh, you cannot pray God's blessing on a, on a person who would lead a country or lead a state or lead a city 
in a direction that is against God because a leader can make decisions to take us out of God's prosperous way and put us into a wrong way, a judged way. And so we need to pray for them to do that. How many times do we see leaders in Israel lead the entire nation into the judgment of God? And then we saw other leaders who led them out of the judgment of God. Josiah was one who led them out of the judgment of God. But Saul led them into the judgment of God. Uh, uh, um, Samuel, not Samuel, um, Solomon, took him from a place of being blessed by God and led him into a place of being judged by God by bringing idolatry into the land. Ahab. And, and there's, you know, the list goes on. You've got good ones, you've got bad ones. And they led the whole nation into that direction. Well, we don't pray for those plans to be blessed when those leaders want to lead us in a way that is contrary to the ways of God or to lead people in a way that oppresses men. And God gives us the purpose for it here. As we said, there is no end in the Greek. The thought would not be to pray all these prayers for all leaders, but to pray what is needed. It's up to us. You should be spiritually mature enough to discern what you should be giving thanks for and what you should be praying against and standing against and and so forth. But still, no matter what, whether a leader is good or whether a leader is bad, you are still to pray for them. You just got to pray wisely as uh, in accordance with the word. You know, we've had uh, presidents that are good, presidents that are bad all throughout the course of our history. But I'll tell you what, we have never had a president as bad as a leader that Paul had. We have never had a president as bad as a leader that Jesus had. We've never had a president as bad as a leader that Daniel was under. Because they were under some really harsh folks there. And so no matter what, no matter how bad it can get, how good it can get, whatever, we are still under the king. And it's a whole lot better to have a leader who follows the king as well. But even if we don't, our our kingdom is not of this world. And so we, we can keep on going on. We shouldn't lose hope. We just keep on going on. Father God, I thank you. We give you praise for the things you're doing in my life apart from that. I was uh, reminded of the uh, situation that Israel had when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh. We use Pharaoh as an example of one who was against God for false, and he's uh, attached himself to false things. And when Israel was there, God would bring things upon the land, and some of those things spared the land of Goshen. They came all along the rest of it, but didn't come upon, upon the land of Goshen. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was meditating on that. I got some more stuff on it too, but that's not for tonight. First Timothy chapter 2, it's going on in verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is the, he says this is the good thing. If God says it's a good thing, then it's a good thing. It's good in his view. So we always are out there praying for him. We shouldn't be out there just murmuring and complaining and griping and moaning about how bad everything is. Just get on out there and, well, we're going to pray this way. And uh, you're not sure how to pray? Ask God. God, how do I pray in this situation? And he'll, he'll help you out. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's desires are twofold here. You know, he's, he's told us this is exactly what I desire. First off, that all men become saved. He desires all men to become saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just because we are saved does not mean we have come to the knowledge of the truth. Getting saved is just the beginning. 
I know a lot of folks, and I think all of us will probably testify, that when we got saved, we were pretty ignorant of truth. <laughs> but we got saved. <laughs> and then we went on to learn about the truth and apply the truth and put it to work in our life. Who desires all men, now men, there's men and women, men in a general sense, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, just because God desires that all men, all people become saved doesn't mean that, that happens, does it? There's a whole lot of things that, that God doesn't desire and that, that God wants. And we get this whole thing, you know, God is in control and nothing's going to happen outside of what God wants, and which is hogwash. There's garbage stuff right there. Don't ever let that get into your thinking. There's one place that we know of where God is in complete control. Where is that? Heaven. In heaven, there is complete control. Is there any flus in heaven? I, I got one for you. What is the hurricane season in heaven? Anybody know when the hurricane? How about uh, how many earthquakes? Are they on the fault line in heaven? They have any problems with earthquakes? When was the last time it rained? Any any twisters? Uh, any problems with cold days and hot days? We don't hear anything about that. We hear it's pretty good up there. Where God is in control, we don't have any of that. Do you remember when Elijah was uh, called out by God? And he, he went out to the, to the place and he was in the cave and he uh, had the earthquake and then the strong wind and all the different things that came up and he came on out. And what does it always say about those things? But God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in all those harsh things. He wasn't in it. You know, there was an earthquake that God was in. Remember that one? When the people were praying and Peter was in, pre- in prison. God was in that earthquake. And the place was shaken. And what happened to the bonds? They broke. What happened to the buildings? <laughs> Nothing happened to the buildings. It was just the bondage that broke out. How many people died in God's earthquake? Nobody. All that happened in God's earthquake was people were set free. <laughs> that was it. There was nothing else that went on in that. When God's in a thing, people don't die. But, you know, I always want to blame earthquakes and these things on, on God. It's not God. Elijah even came out. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the in that. We look at some fires and things, some things that happen and fires come out there. They destroy things. Except there was one time the fire came and didn't destroy something. In and odd, that's also the time that God was in the fire. Remember Moses? He saw the bush burning. Where was God? He was in the fire. What happened to the bush? Didn't burn. <laughs> it's, there's, there's no burning going on with that bush. When God's in the fire, it doesn't burn up stuff. It, it just doesn't happen. When uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into man's fire, God was with them. Wasn't went to fire, but he was with them. What happened to them? Nothing. They didn't they came walking out. The, the, the rope, though, got burned up. So we've got to stop blaming God for all these nasty things and saying that God's in control. If God was in control, there wouldn't be any hurricanes. When God made the earth, there were no hurricanes. There were no storms. The Word of God tells us that it didn't rain on the earth. If it didn't rain, it didn't have hurricanes. Because hurricanes have rain. Hurricanes redistribute heat. The way God set it up, you didn't have to do that. There was no heat to redistribute. It was all even. God had a system set up. When God was in it, all that stuff didn't happen. But then sin came in, and earthquakes are even the result of it. God, The way God made it, there weren't going to be any earthquakes. But He'll have His way again. And once again, we will have an earth in which God has His will on. 
But if those examples help you with talking to other people, getting them out of that mindset, then that would be, be helpful for them. But there are twofold purposes that God has, that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So once we bring people to the knowledge, to, to a salvation experience, then we need to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. This is the will of God. This is what God wants to do. And as we pray for our leadership, for those that are ruling over, we need to pray in such a way that people get saved and that they come to the knowledge of the truth. So if we have leadership, if we have rulers who are against the truth of God, then we need to pray to stop them from being able to block or uh, contaminate or somehow come against the truth of God. And we've seen leaders throughout the world's history which people have done that or have corrupted the truth of God. I mean, I, I think when Hitler started, weren't they, weren't they saying they were doing things uh, by God or for God? And it, it was wrong. But we will always have leaders and you know, there's a whole lot of them over there in the Middle East. They got some just real nutso people doing some crazy things. Of course, they all want to exterminate Israel. And they just aren't, uh, they aren't going to be successful with that. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior and who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So kings and all that are in authority, we're to be praying for. The spiritual condition of the leader does not change our need to pray for them, just our prayers. You need to change your prayers for them. Now, it says there that we need to lead a, a quiet and peaceful life. The word there for quiet is tranquil, quiet, restful, unmarred by disturbance. It only occurs here in the New Testament. The word peaceable, it's keeping one's seat or a sedentary life. And that's what God wants. He wants us to have a quiet and peaceable life. Isn't that a whole lot better when life is quiet and peaceable? And he, God doesn't like war. But he understands because men exert their will on others that sometimes war is necessary. But that's not God's way. That's not God's God's purpose. He'd rather that all men get along and and not try and exert their will over another. But that's not the the way that unsaved people behave. You go back and uh, pull my script. For 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 kings, verse 2, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The words godliness and reverence are speaking about toward God and toward men. That we would have all godliness and reverence toward God and toward men. There's a whole lot of problems we have in this country simply because we don't have reverence for each other. And there needs to be more reverence for for one another. Reverence toward God, but reverence also toward people, to other people and toward men. Regardless of their political views, regardless of what race or nationality, regardless of where they were born, so forth. We just need to have, have reverence for each other. But a lot of times we don't have that reverence. And we don't, we don't speak that way to, with people. And, and we ought to. You know, we can have discussions and have different views on things. But as long as we operate reverently toward each other, then we, we do pretty well. You know, I, I, I thoroughly love having conversations with people who don't agree with me. Because it's people who don't agree with me that sharpen me. As long as they're sensible. I mean that sincerely. I don't like to talk to unsensible people. I'd rather just walk away. Unsensible people are people who, well, it's not that way, and just use generalities. When I talk about a topic, I will talk to you about specifics. I will give you dates, times, people, places, things. And if you want, don't want to talk to me about dates, times, people, places, things versus scriptures, 
such things like that, then, you know, we're not going to have a discussion. You're just going to throw stuff out. I've told you before, some of the best conversations I've had in the sports world are with uh, people from other teams. I still remember one of my best conversations I had with, a, with, a, with another gentleman was uh, we were over on vacation, my family and I, and we sat down at this table because you, you have these big tables and you sit down with people you don't know. That's just the way that they do things out there. Sat down with this one couple and the wife was sitting down, the husband wasn't sitting down, and we found out they were from New York. And they found out we were from Philadelphia. And she was kind of, oh, no, I hope you don't like football. Oh, I love football. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're going to have trouble here because my, my husband's a Giants fan. And she understood that I was an Eagles fan. And she said, she figured, oh, this is going to be a bad dinner. She was really sincere. This is going to be a bad dinner. <laughs> and it wasn't. He, he sat on down, and he's a, he's a oh, thorough Giant, Giants fan. But he's a sensible one. I appreciate sensible Giants fans. And, uh, and, and I was uh, being a sensible Eagles fan. And we were talking about things, and I was talking about that. At that time, they had these two big, burly running backs in the Giants. And I said, oh, man, those guys always give us fits. Every time we come against them, they're just, you know, they pound, pound, pound. And, boy, it was tough. And uh, he was talking, oh, yeah, but you guys have this over here. Oh, uh, yeah, but you. And we were talking. We knew the strengths of each other's teams, and we knew the weaknesses of each other's teams. And we didn't cover it up. Oh, I had one of the best sport conversations I ever had with a person, even though he wasn't on my side. And we wished each other well afterwards and, and went on. I was sitting over there getting my uh, car, some things done on my car, and a gentleman came on in, and he sat down next to me, and, uh, well, you know, it was only he and I in the place, and so I just constantly start up conversation with people just for fun. And so I started up a conversation with him and found out that, uh, you know, we were talking about football, and I was watching football. This is in this season, the Eagles season, and, you know, there hasn't been a Sunday yet. I've enjoyed a football game. <laughs> and this was no, uh, no, uh, no change. It was Monday morning, and I was talking about the game, and, he was talking about it, and you know, at that point, I think uh, his, his team wasn't doing real well either, but I found out he was a Dallas fan, and he was, uh, he, he was afraid to tell me. I could see the hesitation. You know, he's in Philly, and of course, you're an Eagles fan, and I, I hate to tell you a lot. So he told me, he says, I'm a Dallas fan, <laughs> and, and he's ready for me just to blast him or something like that. I don't know. I says, oh, I used to be a Dallas fan too. He looked at me and said, you did? I said, oh, yeah, they were my second favorite team until they fired uh, Tom. And I told him the whole story of that. I didn't like that. He says, yeah, I didn't like that either. And we got into all kinds of things and talked about stuff. But we had a fun conversation. We don't have to agree to have a fun conversation. We just have to have reference for each other. And, uh, and you know, I, I have great conversations with people who want, to, uh, who want to find out the truth. I've told you the story before. My best, best uh, conversations I had at King's College was with a man who was a Lutheran. Best conversations I had. Well, we had awesome conversations about the Bible. But he knew the Bible, and I knew the Bible, and we'd sit there as two people who knew the Bible, and we talked about it. And we both had reverence for each other's positions. We had reverence for each other. And we had some of the greatest Bible discussions. People would almost buy tickets to sit at our table to hear us go at it. Because we weren't fighting with each other, but we would talk about the Word of God on different positions. He would talk about his position. I would talk about my position. And our positions were very different. And again, he was a Lutheran. <laughs> we're very different on a whole lot of things. But, uh, oh, we had such great times. I used to really look forward to those things. We don't have to be, be agreeing all the time, but we need to be reverent. And if you get to a place where you can't be reverent, then you need to just excuse yourself. And, 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 but, fi- but find a way to be reverent. But find a way. Don't just to, to cop out and just not have a conversation. You know, I, I almost like having conversations with Dallas fans and Giant fans and Washington fans because, you know, that we, we can... It, it takes a little effort 
<laughs> to be reverent to each other. It doesn't take much effort for me anymore as long as you, I, I'm going to reverence them as people. But, um, you know, as long as we're on my turf, they usually are pretty good. I wonder what happens if I get on their turf, though. They may not, they may not be quite as, as good. But anyway, godliness and reverence toward God, and it's toward God and men. Make sure in your conversations, be reverent with each other. It'll go a whole lot further than when we just blast each other and put each other down and, and talk in, in negative ways. Especially, I, I especially don't like negative generalities. You know, be specific. Be specific about things. Know what you're talking about and all that. For this is good, the Word of God says. The word there, good, is valuable or virtuous. It is valuable or virtuous to God. God is saying to me, this is valuable or virtuous. The word there, desires. Let me read that again. For this is good and acceptable. Go on back to verse uh, 2. For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and gotten up. Got to go back further. Maybe I should pull up mine. Go back to verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Keep going. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who des- there it is. Who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. The word there for desires is to wish or to incline to. This, ver- this word is used over a hundred times in the Bible. It's just under 200. But the word here, I just pulled out one reference for you. I want you to get a chance to see this so that you get an idea. Because sometimes people look at this word who desires all men to be saved and see, have used that to say that all people are saved. Because that's what God wants. It's used here in Matthew 1, verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Was, was, was thinking about it. Was, he was not, it was not his desire to make her a public spectacle. That's not what he desired. That's not what he wanted. He had a different desire. He had a different uh, want to. And so the, the word there is used. So God is saying he, doesn't, he, he desires it to be this way. But it's not a lot of times. But that's still what he desires. You know, I go into next Sunday's game. I desire it to be a good game. <laughs> I'm kind of losing hope on that, that, it's a, that it is going to be. But, you know, I still have a desire that it would be a good game. I don't watch them anymore. This first year I haven't watched the Eagles football. I just kind of turned it off and, and I just set the recorder up. And I let the recorder watch it for me. And if it turns out to be good, I'll watch it. But otherwise, I'm not wasting my time or coming up with some kind of awful feeling because I spent two, three hours sitting out there watching this awful game. So I had the videotape rolling last uh, Sunday, but didn't watch it. Desires. For, uh, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith. And truth goes on in verse eight. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In other words, be reverent with each other. Get out of this wrath and get out of this doubting area. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's his desire. That's what he wants to have going on. Now, how many of y'all know it's not going on? But that's still what he would like to see in like manner. 
also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, notice in verse 8, what does he say here? Very, very beginning. I desire. He doesn't say God desires, does he? He says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, that I think God desires as well. But in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So if you wear gold, pearls, or if you braid your hair, you're a sinner and going to hell. <laughs> I mean, that's what it says. It's right there in the Bible. No, but see, he's dealing with some things in here. And then sometimes we read that and we just start beating people over the head with the thing. We're losing the reverence that's supposed to be there. Now, now this, is a, uh, this is very much a cultural thing. And the culture that was going on there is different from the culture that is going on here and now. And what he was talking about here, what I am told, how many went on back through and, and uh, listened to, to, to Rick? I loved some of the background that Rick Renner gave on this. If you didn't, you missed it. I'm not going to teach all the stuff that Rick did. So go on back there and get it yourself. It's still up there. You can go up on the church Facebook page. You can find the link and you can go there and you can listen all you want to. You can listen once, twice, three times, as many times as you want. There is no limit. But he did a number, uh, real nice job in, in building up. He did a wonderful, outstanding job talking about where Paul came from. And that Paul here is not putting a heavy restriction on women. He's trying to pull it off. Because if you understood how women were viewed in this day, even in Jesus' day, uh, he, he lays it out. I'll tell you what. It's, <laughs> I knew it wasn't real good, but I didn't know it was that bad. It, uh, it was not good. They weren't allowed to go into, women were not allowed to go in synagogues. And so when they were letting open them up and letting the women come into the synagogues, he was telling us, you know, that they didn't know, necessarily know how to act because they hadn't been in them. And so they acted a little inappropriately. Well, how many times have we brought children into a church and they don't know how to act and they act a little inappropriate? So what do you do with the children when they're acting inappropriate? You first off tell them to be quiet. <laughs> And then you teach them how to, how to respond and how to go. But as they uh, grow up and they begin to learn how to deal with the situation, with the service, they're not told to be quiet anymore, are they? You're encouraging them to speak out. And some of those children have grown up and they become teachers themselves and they do other things. Well, he's, uh, the women were having a tough time in there. And apparently in some situations, the, the woman would get up right in the middle of service and they'd holler out to their husband, I don't understand that. And, you know, you would think, well, that seems to be kind of crazy. Why would they do that? Well, they apparently hadn't been in these meetings before, and they didn't know that that was inappropriate. And so, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd learn that. How many times have you ever seen a, a sinner come into church and do something you just shake your head at? It's like, oh, well, I can't believe they just did that. <laughs> well, um, we have to teach sometimes people some things to do to be reverent to God. And that's what he's uh, dealing with here. So there's a lot of cultural stuff in there. Apparently, a lot of these women would spend many, many hours just uh, doing the braiding and the apparel and all the things. Just to, and that the whole purpose was to draw attention to themselves and to, to, to have people look at them. But uh, he did have a neat thing to say. You know, the women were not allowed to be out there in public and, and uh, they were not to be out there in the, uh, if you're out there in the marketplace, women were not allowed to shop. And he actually was talking about how he kind of liked that one to keep keep over and <laughs> i remember that he was he was talking about but no that's um understand there's cultural things in the word of god and the cultural things are not 
what is doctrine. There is culture. And so God wants to sometimes take our culture and, and buffer it with some of the things from the Word of God. But there are a lot of cultural things. How many of all know different cultures dress differently? God never says that one way is better than another. He just says here, you know, make sure it's modest. That's all that he, he, he says here. So don't take all these things, you know, and beat each other over the head and everybody's got to be doing all this sort of stuff. and Because um, that's not really what he's getting at. He goes on in verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Well, why are they doing that? Because they hadn't been in all these meetings, apparently. They hadn't been going there to, as much. So they need to learn what to do and be in silence. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, if you went through, this is the one part I actually put the, what Rick had, had said because it was actually dynamite, what he had gotten into. When it says here, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, the word there, or, has a, a, a bit of a wrong meaning from the way it's translated here. He gave it to us this way. The issue is not the woman teaching, but the teaching with the aim of usurping authority. The conjunction was joining the thought of teaching with usurping authority. And as we get on down here, we're going to see that's more of what was going on. Now, how can Paul teach that a woman couldn't teach in the church when he had a lot of women involved in the ministry and co-laborers and that were teaching? It wouldn't seem right if Paul was telling Timothy, don't let the woman teach if he and himself was doing so. And I don't think that's what Timothy was hearing, though sometimes we, we have heard the same heard that sort of thing, that women are to keep silent. And uh, how many of y'all know, I'm, I'm glad that women come into church and don't keep silent. Because that'd be uh, half the church not worshiping God. Only the men could come in and worship God. And, and that's not, not good. What would happen to our worship team if all the women kept silent? You know, Jim be carrying a tune up there. That's, uh, that's, that's not what he's talking about there. We've got to make sure that we buffer it. Whatever it is, whatever kind of thing we're getting out of the Word of God, as I've always often told you, that what the Word of God teaches, it also demonstrates. If we don't see the demonstration in the Word of what we think it's teaching, then we must not be understanding what it's teaching because it would demonstrate it. We don't see that women are, are silent. Priscilla is one of the, one of the uh, great examples of all that. Verse uh, 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Well, that's uh, pretty un, uh, uh, unremarkable there. That's uh, certainly what happened. Adam was the first. Eve came after that. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgressions. Well, the book of, the book of Genesis is very clear on that. Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam was disobedient. Adam's sin brought all mankind into sin because the this, this sin nature is passed on through the man, not through the woman. But the woman was deceived. So when you stand the two next to each other, Adam was disobedient, not deceived. The woman was deceived. And so that's what he's breaking this down for. But then we get to verse 15. And verse 15 is one of those verses that you just kind of like to cut out of the Bible and just pretend like it wasn't there. Because it is just a very interesting verse. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So if the woman wants to be saved, she needs to keep having kids. <laughs> I mean, that's what it says, right? Well, the word there for saved, you want to know what the Greek says? The Greek for word for saved there is the word sozo, the exact same word we use for salvation. 
Oh, that doesn't help us out at all, does it? <laughs> we wanted to have some other word being used in there, but it's not. It's the word sozo, and sozo can mean a whole lot of different things. Uh, it can mean healed as much as it can mean saved. But Brother Copeland, a lot of times he said when he was first learning this, every time he saw the word saved in the Bible, he saw saved healed. He just replaced it. Saved healed. I remember him talking about that. But she will be saved in childbearing. Well, what's the, what's the, the thing that's, that's going on here? It was the deception of the women. Now, when Adam, who was disobedient, was, was um, uh, brought before judgment in God, and God pronounced judgment on the man, the man's judgment was, in toil you shall labor, working with your hands. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but it's going to be that way now. Why? Because he was disobedient. And so what he was supposed to do for the rest of his time down here on earth, and every man that comes after that, is they are supposed to toil. They are supposed to work the hand. The Word of God tells us that if a man does not work, Jeanette, that a man who doesn't work and provide for his family is worse than a infidel. Yeah, we know those scriptures real well. <laughs> this is why I get irate at the government and, and the welfare programs and all the different things that are going on. Because what they are doing is causing people to not want to work. Why should I work? Government will give me a check. And that's undermining what they're supposed to be doing. And it's undermining the purpose of God. Man's purpose here, and if, if he was dealing with the man, he'd be talking about this aspect of it. You were not, um, you were not deceived, you were disobedient. So you get to work. You're supposed to be working six days. <laughs> work those six days. <laughs> not supposed to be resting seven days. You're supposed to be working six days. Get out there and work. Do something. You know, you're supposed to be busy. You're supposed to be at work doing some, doing some things. And, uh, you know, helping people, doing stuff. Not sitting around eating bonbons, watching TV. That's not the, the thing that the man's supposed to do. The man's supposed to be out there doing stuff. And, uh, and that's what we're, uh, out there to do. Even, even, you know, get the old enough to get retired. What are you supposed to do? Do stuff. Get out there and help people. Don't sit around. It's so good. You know, you see those folks that are out there, sometimes 65, 70 year old. They're over there in the Walmart greeting people. They're over there or they volunteer over to hospitals and they, well, they're not getting paid for that. Don't matter. They're working. <laughs> they're doing stuff. That's what we need to do. We need to get out there and that, because that's our, we find that purpose there. And when government agencies come in and they take that purpose away from the man where he's no longer working and bringing in the substance for the for the family and they take that away and the government just sends the check they've uh, they've removed that part and they're undermining his spiritual condition when they undermine his spiritual condition he's not the spiritual leader he needs to be when he's not the spiritual leader he needs to be there's a there's a void and a vacuum in the home when there's a void and a vacuum what happens anytime that there's a vacuum what happens something else fills it and so something else will fill it and so what happens is you have households in which the wife will take the, the role that the husband's not taking because he has left the void. Do you know homes where the husband doesn't go to work, gets a check from the government, and doesn't do anything with his family, doesn't put into his kids, doesn't, doesn't do those things? There's a, there's a void there in that family. Those kids aren't going to grow up with the right things. And that's going to set a, a wrong example, a wrong pattern. Well, the woman, it says that through childbearing, you know, there's a, there's a salvation for her. So it's, it's, 
you know, there's all kinds of ways people have looked into this. I read off some of the some of the stuff. Some people saw it as. Uh, well, you know, Eve was going to give birth to a baby, and eventually baby, 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 keep on out, and eventually Christ is going to be born. Except that Paul is writing in the future tense. There's no getting around it. Paul wrote in the future tense. He used a, uh, a verb, or a form here, that is future. And there's no getting around it. So if it's future for Paul, then I don't see how that's pointing back to Christ. But the man's supposed to be working, and when the woman was deceived, and he came to the woman, and he pronounced her judgment, what did he say? In pain, you will bring forth children. It wasn't supposed to be that way. They were supposed to bring forth children, but not in pain. And so the, the thing that, that he's saying is, uh, <clears throat> you're going to have kids, and it's going to hurt. And you need to keep yourself, hold yourself up in, in that, and not be uh, going around, I guess, complaining or doing whatever it would be going on. But uh, he said, it, continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And that's how they were supposed to go about doing that thing. Now, we can get on up to heaven, and this can be one of those questions, but I don't think it's a first day question. You know, I think we could be up there asking another question, you know, for a couple months, and then maybe we get on around to Paul. Paul, what were you talking about in verse 15? <laughs> and I think eventually we'll get there and try and figure that out. But uh, understand, nothing's going to be taught there that's apart from other scriptures. If anyone wants to teach any kind of salvation through childbearing, well, that's against everything in the Word of God. So we know that's not right. That's not what Paul's teaching. But there's, there's a thing that's supposed to be going on. He was talking about Adam and Eve and the deception that she fell into. And so somehow the childbearing is, is having an effect on that. So anyway, just in childbearing, keep a good attitude. That's the best thing we can come out of with that one. Just keep a good attitude. Adam was here first, then Eve. And, and we need to keep this in, in mind as far as the, uh, the woman is not supposed to teach in a way as to usurp authority. Well, you know what? Neither is a man. Men should not teach and usurp authority. I see a whole lot of men out there, men pastors, men preachers, men whatever, and they're teaching in such a way and they put a, a, a burden on people. And they put a thing on, on folks and they, uh, through condemnation and, and through things like that, and they usurp authority over a family, over a situation, and they aren't to do that. A man is not to teach and usurp authority either. There's a certain authority that's in the home that belongs to the husband and the wife of that home. And that pastor, that evangelist, that uh, apostle, that prophet, that whoever it is, they're not supposed to come in there and through teaching undermine that authority. That is wrong. But a woman also is not to get up and teach in such a way as to undermine the authority of the man. And what God is saying here is this. Adam was formed first. The authority of the home rests with the man. Now, as far as authority goes in the Word of God, authority is not, uh, woman, obey. That's not the way that God does it. He says, if you want to look at the example, look at how Christ is head of the church. The way that Christ is head of the church, men, you are to be head of the family. You are to be head of the wife. And that's how, and how does Christ do it? G he's gentle. He's loving. He, he makes decisions based on the Word of God. He stays faith in faith. This is what uh, God does. That's the example that we have. We don't have this example that a lot of people want to come out there with and, and try and strong arm people. That's not godly example. But if the man doesn't take that authority, someone in the home has to take that authority. And so sometimes we see the wife step up and take that authority because the man's not taking it. Well, thank God somebody stood up and took the authority. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. How many have ever seen a home that's run by the, run by the mom? 
And, and sometimes, you know, you want to blame the mom for it. But it's not always the mom's fault. Sometimes, you know, the, the husband doesn't want to step up and take that role. Somebody's got to take that role. That home needs some kind of leadership to it. And it sure is a whole lot better to have the mom take the leadership of the role, leadership role, than nobody. But the idea is that the husband would stand up and take his leadership role. And that he would, uh, he would have that. Because a lot of times we're putting stuff on the women to make decisions on. And they're not equipped for it. And we've got to make sure that, you know, as men, we're able to, to separate our emotions from our decisions a whole lot better than women are. And women, because they don't make that separation of their emotions, are better able to do other things. But we're both different, and we're both cut out for certain, certain things. And so just know where it is that you are good at and be good at it. And know what it is that you're not good at and let somebody else take over that. There's some things I just let my wife do. Well, you're just better off with that one. I'll let you take that one. There's some things that I'm just better off doing than she is, and I'll take those and, and leave her out of it. And we've got to understand where our roles are and what kind of things we can do and be comfortable in it. I don't have to be threatened because my wife is better at something, and she doesn't have to be threatened because I'm better at something. I never like those jokes. And I don't, you may notice I don't use them. But I never like those jokes where whatever it is the woman does was right. You know, they always have those things. Well, you know, my wife was, she said Dave was right. You know what? Women can make mistakes. They can make mistakes as much as men can. And I don't, I don't like it because sometimes we think just because a woman's a woman that they make the right decisions. Well, no more so than a man being a man makes the right decision. Men and women are both capable of failure. We are both capable of making a wrong decision. And we're both capable of making a right one. When we stay with the Word of God and we honor the Word of God, we'll make a right decision. When we stay within our area and we stay within the bounds of what we're supposed to do, we do good things. But we've got to stop being threatened by each other and say, well, I want that role. I want to do that. Because one of the things that uh, was put on the woman was your desire would be for him. It was talking about authority. That because of the fallen nature, the woman would desire to rule over the husband. And do you not see that? Especially if a person, is, a woman is not godly, is not God-fearing. How many times do you see that, that that woman wants to try and, and make the husband do the things that she wants him to do? That's not the way to go. Nor should a man cause a woman to do what he wants her to do and use force. It's, it's not right. We're not respecting each other. We're not following the example we have with God. So as we get through here with, with Timothy, his, uh, his words to him, don't get the idea that, well, women can't do anything. Woman can't be any kind of leadership role. Woman can't do, uh, do anything of, of that nature because that's not what it's, what it's about. And particularly when it's talking about that authority, it's not talking about so much a woman over a man as it is a wife over a husband. When it talks about Adam and Eve and uses that example, Eve was Adam's wife. And that's a real important point to understand. Adam was formed first, then Eve. The wife came after that. And uh, a, a woman is not... If you do, you mess up your family. Now, I've seen some guys that are out there and they were trying to take authority in the, in the house and the woman kept stopping them and messed up the family. And the whole family got messed up because the woman wouldn't let them take that role. And then, and then the husband backed down. And then he didn't do the decisions that he was supposed to be doing. And then the wife stood up and then she took those things and, and made the decisions and the family got messed up. And we've got to be careful. Don't be following after that kind of a thing. This is a difficult passage, and there's a whole lot of things you can come out of here with and so forth. The best thing to do, look at the Word of God. Look at the examples that are there. Do we have women teachers in the Bible? 
Do we have women leaders in the church? We do. Paul had a number of women leaders in the church. And so it's, it's not wrong then that we have that. Were there women rulers in the Old Testament? Yeah. There sure were. So what Paul is teaching is not going against all the rest of the things in the Word of God. But what we need to understand is each one of our roles. And it's particularly in the area of the home. Wives are, don't, don't usurp the husband's authority. Don't, don't usurp that. Encourage it. But a husband's authority is not to lord it over those that he serves. Jesus is very clear about that. It's not going to be like it is with, with the rulers. Now, if you want to be, if you want to be great, if you want to be the number one, learn to become servant of all. Husband is to serve the wife. Just as Christ loves and helps the church out. Does the things that are necessary for the church. That's the, That's our example. And that's the one we need, we need to follow. We're in a we're in a support role with Jesus. He's the head of the church. We're in that support role. Glory to God. Aren't you glad we're in that support role? We're not in the head role. <laughs> that's a whole lot better. Well, in a family, it's the same thing. The husband needs to take some of those. Sometimes a decision needs to be made, and maybe he's afraid to make it because he made the wrong one. Well, husband, man up. You need to make the decision. Stop putting that off on your wife. That's not the thing that needs to be going on. You need to talk with each other. Listen to each other. Your wife can be in touch with some things that you're not going to be able to be in touch with. Listen to those things, but then come to a, a point, come to a decision, and the family will be, be benefited, and the children will be benefited. Well, Father, we thank you for the teaching they gave us in the Word. We know there's much that we have to learn about what Paul is teaching us here is the role of men and women. And I thank you that you help us to, to learn that. But we do know from the examples in the Word of God that we are to submit to one another, that we are to love one another, we are to give reverence to one another. We're not to lord it over each other, not to beat each other with scriptures and to do the things we want them to do. But Father, help us to have our attitudes right towards each other, to be godly, and reverent towards men and towards you. We thank you for the help that you give us. That those things that bring about our beauty are not what's adorning us on the outside, but what adorns us on the inside. The person on the inside. We thank you for the help you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.